bless those things that you have called us to do as a church. Lord, including those offerings and the giving that would come in today, Father, I ask that you would give wisdom. I ask that you would multiply. Lord, I ask that you would continue to provide all that's needed for the ministry that you are doing here in this place. God, I ask now that you would also speak to us as we open our hearts together to see your word. Lord, that you would give us ears to hear what the Spirit of God would say through the word today. May it touch our lives and bear much fruit for your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, please open them up with me to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 31. Jeremiah, chapter 31. We're going to continue our study through the book of Jeremiah. The title of this morning's message, Sweet Dreams. Sweet Dreams. Just look there, if you're in chapter 31, just look with me at verse 26. After this, I awoke and looked around, and my sleep was sweet to me. This is a message that Jeremiah is actually receiving via a dream. And he wakes up there in verse 26 and says, you know, what a sweet dream it was. And as we'll see here today, looking through this passage, this really is a word of hope and comfort and encouragement from God, speaking into Jeremiah's dream to pronounce to the people. And it's a time that they needed a word of encouragement and hope. It's a time when the nation has come under the discipline and judgment of God. The nation has now been taken captive by Babylon, and they've been conquered as a people. God had warned them. God had tried to prevent this, but... In their rebellion and turning their back on God, they found themselves now in this difficult season. But God has not given up on His people. And God is going to continue to speak words of hope, future, encouragement, comfort. We see that here in chapter 31. Look with me at verse 1, and it will kind of give you the setting, the context. And I'll introduce it that way. It says in verse 1, at the same time, says the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel and they shall be my people. At the same time, he says. What's he referencing? At what time, Jeremiah, is God going to do these things? I believe it's connected directly to the verse prior, chapter 30 and verse 24. You notice the, latter, the last part of the verse there. In the latter days, you will consider it. At the same time, says the Lord, I will be God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. As I introduced last week, I believe that these passages that we're looking at, chapters 30 through 33, are a word not only for the immediate future of the nation of Israel, but we believe that Jeremiah is actually prophetically speaking to the end times, the latter days, what God has planned for His nation even at the end of days. Of course, we believe that God will ultimately bring back the nation of Israel to deal with them as a people. We believe that's already begun. At least Israel is back in the, in the land. And we believe that there are many things that God is yet to fulfill. One of those things is that we believe that God is one day going to open up the mind and heart of His people, the Jewish people, to see and receive Jesus as their Savior. For the most part today, they have rejected. The Jewish people have rejected Christ as Savior. But we believe that God ultimately has a plan to kind of revisit His nation 
and to open their hearts and minds. We believe this will take place at the end of the age, that God, during that time, as we read last week, of Jacob's trouble, during a time of great stress and tribulation, that God will actually use that to turn the heart of Israel back to Him. And there is going to come a day when they are going to look upon Him whom they pierce, Jesus Himself, and they are going to receive Him into their heart. And there will be a great revival and a great, really, harvest of the last day Israel coming back to the Lord. And we believe that some of this uh, prophetic word through Jeremiah speaks to that time. You'll see through a number of these passages there are some things that have not yet happened, have never happened in Israel's history. So we believe that there will be a future literal fulfillment of some of these things. So you can keep that in mind as we work through the passages today. And that sets something of our introduction. But I mostly want to draw out, of course, again, like we did last week, just some of those things that I see God uh, on the heart of God for His people. Because those things don't change. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the God of the New Testament believer as well. And the heart of God for His people is ever the same. God's love, God's compassion, God's desire for for fellowship and blessing. These things are not unique to the Old Testament people. These are the things that God has for all. And we believe that Jesus Christ is really the fulfillment of that desire that God has for mankind in which you and I have much to learn and hear, I believe, today. So we'll take it, uh, we won't work through the whole chapter today, but I'd like to get through the first 30 verses with you. And what I notice here today concerning the heart of God in verses 2 through 9, follow with me, and we see God is a God of everlasting love. Everlasting love. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness, Israel, when I went to give him rest. The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. Again, I will build you, and you shall be rebuilt, O virgin of Israel. You shall again be adorned with your tambourines, and shall go forth in the dances of those who rejoice. You shall yet plant vines in the mountains of Samaria. The planters shall plant and eat them as ordinary food. For there shall be a day when the watchman will cry on Mount Ephraim, Arise and let us go up to Zion, to the Lord our God. For thus says the Lord, Sing with gladness for Jacob and shout among the chief of the nations. Proclaim, give praise and say, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. Behold, I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the ends of the earth. Among them, the blind and the lame, the woman with child, and the one who labors with child together. A great throng shall return there. They shall come with weeping, and with supplications I will lead them. I will cause them to walk by the rivers of waters in a straight way in which they shall not stumble. For I am the father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. An everlasting love. God says in verse 3, I have loved you with an everlasting love. God's love, not only is it everlasting, but it is also unconditional. God is speaking now to a nation that is in rebellion. He's speaking to a people that have not in any way earned His loving kindness. 
And yet he says, in spite of it all, in spite of your shortcomings, in spite of your failures, my love for you is never ending. It is everlasting. His love continues to a people, not because they have deserved it, not because they have earned it, but because God has given it. Love, the God kind of love, is not dependent upon our performance, but rather it is dependent upon the God who gives it, and it is a beautiful, everlasting love. You know these passages, but let me remind you. You don't need to turn, but let me quote out of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, a beautiful description of the God kind of love. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things. It believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. This is the kind of love that God has promised to His people. And not only that, but you'll notice in the latter part of verse 3, my, I've loved you with an everlasting love, but also he says, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. It's the love of God that has drawn you back to me. God is speaking prophetically to his people. We sang that this morning, didn't we? Your kindness, Lord. It's your, your goodness that leads me to repentance. It's the love of God that reaches out and touches the hearts of men. I came to the Lord because I discovered that He loved me. I live and serve the Lord today because He loves me. Now, I know that God is holy and God is awesome and God will judge sin. And I have a healthy respect and fear of God. But it's the love of God that drew me. God, God didn't bully me into relationship with Him. God appealed to me lovingly. And when I discovered how much He truly loved me, when I discovered the power of that love and the investment that He had made to communicate that love, my heart responded. It drew me. And this is what God is saying to His people. It's this kindness of the Lord that is going to draw us and lead us to repentance. He says there in verse 9, They shall come with weeping and supplications. What is it that would be the appropriate response to a heart that truly discovers how much God loves you. I believe that it's, it's what's mentioned here in verse 9. It has, it has an impact of actually humbling me. It causes me to be weeping and, and repentive. It's not some high-minded, oh yeah, well of course He loves me. I mean, who, who wouldn't, you know? No, when I realize how much God loves me, it, it, it kind of awakens me to the fact that, you know what, I don't deserve it, and I know I don't, but still He loves me. And it touches and moves my heart in a way, just as verse 9 says, that, that causes me to come humbly, weeping, with supplications, Oh God, oh that You would have mercy on me, Lord. Oh God, that Your love would rescue me. Oh God, that You would draw me close. I need You, Lord. Your love is causing me to humble myself before You. And it brings me into a relationship of tenderness and love. This is a question that many struggle with. 
Does God love me? You would say today, if I were to ask you, oh yes, God loves me, you're here in church, you know that's the right answer. But in the secrets of your heart, I would, ma- I would imagine that there are times that you wrestle with that. Does God really love me? And the reason that we wrestle with that question is because we, we imagine that God's love is different than it truly is. He declares it to be everlasting. He declares it to be unconditional. But we don't quite believe Him at His Word. We, we imagine secretly that God's love might really be based more on our performance. And so, if I were to ask you on a good day if God loves you, you would say, oh yes, today God loves me. What about yesterday? Oh no, I'm not sure that He, would, that he really was loving me yesterday. We imagine that God's love ebbs and flows with the ups and downs of our own performance. There are days when we imagine that we've done well, and there are days when we know we haven't. But let me simply tell you that even on your best day, you have not earned the love of God. Even when you are as holy and righteous as you think you could possibly be, the Bible says that your righteousness before God is like filthy rags. The love of God is not something that you have earned, nor is it something that you can sustain. It is something that you simply must learn to receive because God is giving it to a people that don't deserve it. No, it's not based on the ups and downs of how well you do or how unworthy you may feel. It's based on Him. Another, I think, misunderstanding of God's love is sometimes based upon our circumstance. How many of you have asked this question? If God loves me, then why am I going through this circumstance? God, if you really love me, why are you allowing this trouble to come into my life? It almost doesn't compute. We can't imagine that a God who can do anything that says that He loves us would allow us to go through such hardship. And so we judge His love on the ups and downs of circumstance. And so God's love is it's, it's a hot and cold thing through much of our Christian life. I'm talking to Christians. Those that have a relationship, we doubt His love, we question His love, we feel unworthy of His love. And you're going to have to base and anchor your confidence in God's love in something else, or you are going to have a continued up and down experience in your relationship with Him. No, it's got to be anchored in not me, but Him. And the Bible speaks to us concerning the love of God. And in the New Testament, the Bible really gives just one reference continually as to testify to the assurance of God's love. Can any of you think of what that is? The cross of Jesus Christ. The cross, once and for all, declares the love of God for you. Jesus said, No greater love hath any man than he would lay down his life for his friends. The cross is is to settle forever in your heart. Does God love me? Yes, He does exemplified in what He did at the cross. A a couple of verses, Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, but God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
even when we were sinners, even when you were living a life in rebellion, Jesus went to that cross. Jesus knew the mistakes you would make. Jesus knew the sins of humanity that would follow His sacrifice. How easy He would have, could have looked out into the future and said, whoa, wait a minute, I'm not dying for all those sinners yet to come. No, He knew. And He said, I'll, I'll lay my life down for them because I love them. And He saw you at that cross and He, he cared enough to lay it down for you. Ephesians 2 and verse 4. But God who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us. Even when we were dead in trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. The love of God. I cannot emphasize it enough. I pray with so many, and this is the challenging thing in your heart. I'm telling you once and for all, by the power of Jesus Christ at the cross, He loves you. He loves you. Secondly, today, I'd like us to move on in our text, and I want to talk to you about the God of comfort. The God of comfort. Look with me in verses 10 through 17. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the isles afar off, and say, He who scattered Israel will gather him, and keep him as a shepherd does his flock. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob, and ransomed him from the hand of one stronger than he. Therefore they shall come and sing in the height of Zion, streaming to the goodness of the Lord. For wheat and new wine and oil, for the young of the flock and the herd, their souls shall be like a well-watered garden, and they shall sorrow no more at all. Then shall the virgin rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the old together, for I will turn their mourning to joy, will comfort them, and make them rejoice rather than sorrow. I will satiate the soul of the priests with abundance, and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted for her children because they are no more. Thus says the Lord, Refrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for your work shall be rewarded, says the Lord, and they shall come back from the land of the enemy. There is hope in your future, says the Lord, that your children shall come back to their own border. A God of comfort. Some beautiful promises here that God speaks to His people. In verse 10, He, he reminds them that He is a shepherd that will gather them. The shepherd is one that goes after and rescues the sheep. In verse 11, He says that He will ransom them from the hand of one stronger. There is no one that can hold you or keep you from God's comfort and care. He will deliver and set you free. In verse 12, they shall sorrow no more. A day is coming. Verse 13, I will turn their mourning to joy. I will comfort them. There will be a rejoicing rather than sorrow. God speaking a word of comfort into the heart of a people that need to be comforted. And it is often that God uses promise of future blessing and hope to comfort us even in time of current difficulty. 
Sometimes we imagine that the only way we can be comforted is if God will simply come and just change all my circumstances and make them good, make them what I want them to be. Then I'll be comforted. But God's comfort is to actually minister to you in the midst of struggle, even in the midst of trial. God can bring a hope, a word of comfort. You know, it was yesterday that we had a funeral here in the fellowship. And, you know, that's a a time that is often marked with mourning. There's always a sorrow when a loved one passes. And we do those regularly. It's a part of life, isn't it? Funerals. And and we we take time and and we mourn the loss of loved ones. But the blessing was, it was a woman in our church, her mother had passed away. The blessing was her mother knew the Lord. And so, yes, it was a time of mourning, but it was also a time of great comfort. What was the comfort? That her mother would, would be suddenly back with her? No, the comfort was that there was a future and a hope with her mother. That mom had gone on to be with the Lord and was in a place of great comfort. And that you someday will be reunited with your loved one. And that brings comfort. You know, that's, that's something that can comfort even in a time of mourning. And this is what God is endeavoring to sow into the heart of His people. Listen, you're going through something difficult. But I've got a future for you. I'm not finished with you. This is not the way the story ends. Allow that promise to comfort your heart. Notice what he says here about Rachel's weeping. In verse 15. A voice was heard in Ramah. Lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel weeping for her children. Refusing to be comforted for her children. Because they are no more. Now Rachel, of course, was Jacob's wife. And Rachel had two children, Joseph and Benjamin. Joseph would go on to have children, Ephraim and Manasseh. You may have noticed in our text here several references to Ephraim. Ephraim was one of Joseph's sons, so really one of Rachel's children. And Ephraim represented the northern kingdom of Israel. Israel split after King Solomon, both northern and southern. And the northern kingdom represented by Ephraim. The southern kingdom represented by Benjamin, who would actually align himself and be a part of Judah. So what God is saying that Rachel, the mother of Israel, really, both north and south, is weeping for the loss of her children. Listen, when when Assyria came and conquered the northern kingdom, they were cruel. And many of the children were killed and taken captive. And the same for Babylon when they came. This was no pleasant time. And you can imagine the mothers of the land losing their children to death and watching their children taken off into captivity to never see them again. And there's a weeping and a longing and a a difficult struggle. The Gospel of Matthew would refer to this. You may remember when Jesus was born, King Herod, wanting to snuff out the life of Jesus, came looking for Jesus. And Jesus' father earthly father Joseph was warned in a dream and they fled to Egypt. So Herod came and he simply slaughtered all the children within that age in effort to try and kill the the early life of Jesus. And Matthew says, this also was a time of Rachel weeping for her children. My point is simply this. This is a horrible time. I, I can't imagine a deeper crisis or a more troubling time in someone's life And yet, even in that place, God says, 
I will comfort you. There is no valley too deep. You've not experienced something beyond what has been known to men. God is able to meet you in any situation and bring comfort and hope. Even today, right now, you may be going through something extremely difficult. And God would say to you, there's hope in your future, says the Lord. And that can bring comfort. That can be a blessing to you. I'm going to ask you to hold your place in Jeremiah 31 and turn with me, if you would, to the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 1. 2 Corinthians, chapter 1. We know this comfort in the New Testament as well. 2 Corinthians, chapter 1. The Apostle Paul will look to comfort the New Testament believers. Second Corinthians chapter 1, and I'll begin here in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, amen, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so, also, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Now if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope for you is steadfast, because we know that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so also you will partake of the consolation. You may turn back with me to... Jeremiah chapter 31. The Apostle Paul says something very important about comfort and and suffering. He says that God will actually comfort you in the midst of a difficult circumstance in order that you will be able to offer that same comfort to others in their circumstance. There is something about someone who has really gone through trials. There's just there's something that happens in their spiritual life. There's something that happens in their character. And when that person comes alongside to comfort you, their words have something behind them. When someone who has lost or gone through tremendous suffering comes alongside you and says, Hey, listen, I know what you're going through and God will bring you through. That has meaning. That has power when it's ministered from someone who's been there and walked through those things before. Compared to someone who really has not experienced much of anything. Oh, God bless you, don't worry, it'll all work out. Easy for you to say, you've never been through anything. It may be true what they're saying, they're right, but it just doesn't have the same impact. But boy, when someone who's been there can come alongside and comfort someone who's there, There is ministry. There is power. And this is what God is saying in the Word, saying, listen, God's going to meet you. You're going to go through some things. But God's going to meet you there. And He's going to meet you in such a way, not only to help you, but to help others through you. You're going to have an opportunity to minister to others the same comfort that you have received. And it all comes from God. God is the God of all comfort. Back with me in Jeremiah 31. We move on. The third thing I'd like you to see with me this morning concerning Jeremiah 
concerning God's heart through Jeremiah is that God is a yearning father. A yearning father. Let's take a look at verse 18 through 22. I have surely heard Ephraim bemoaning himself. You have chastised me and I was chastised. Like an untrained bull, restore me and I will return. For you are the Lord my God. Surely after my turning I repented. And after I was instructed, I struck myself on the thigh. I was ashamed. Yes, even humiliated. Because I bore the reproach of my youth. Verse 20, is Ephraim my dear son? God responds to Ephraim's, uh, Ephraim's shame. Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he a pleasant child? For though I spoke against him, I earnestly remember him still. Therefore, my heart yearns for him. I will surely have mercy on him, says the Lord. Set up signposts, make landmarks, set your heart toward the highway, the way in which you went. Turn back, O virgin of Israel. Turn back to these your cities. How long will you gad about, O you backsliding daughter? For the Lord has created a new thing in the earth. A woman shall encompass a man. The heart of God, and we see the heart of a yearning father. We see there Ephraim uh, referenced the, as the northern nation, referenced as Ephraim, uh, acting like something of a disciplined child. He's come to the discipline of the Lord, and he realizes, he's kind of come to his senses, and he, he recognizes, oh God, I, I need to turn back, I need to repent, I, I'm ashamed, I'm even humiliated because of this reproach. And so the discipline of God, speaking prophetically into the future, there'll come a day when their hearts will be touched and they'll recognize that God has, is correcting them. And in that time, the, the heart of God, first he says in, in the first part of verse 20, I earnestly remember him still. God never forgets. God never stops thinking about you. No matter where your life takes you, no matter how wayward your life may go, God is earnestly thinking about you still. You are on His mind. You are ever on His thoughts. He knows where you are. He you don't have to worry about finding Him. He can find you. And He's always thinking about you. I remember Him. I never stopped thinking about Him in the and also in verse 20, it says, My heart yearns for Him. Not only is He thinking about you, but His heart is longing for you. He wants fellowship with you. He wants you to come and, and come home. He wants you to come back to His love and His care and His fellowship. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter how far you've been or how long you've been God. God's thinking about you and He's longing for you to come back. That's the heart of a father. Is there not one of us as, as a parent today that do not know that sense of longing for children, wanting them home, wanting them safe, wanting them with us? And so the heart of the father going out for his children, and he says in the latter part of verse 20 there, I will surely have mercy on him. God is looking to be merciful. God is looking for a, an Ephraim to come home broken and repentive so that He can shower him with mercy. Oh, this sounds so much like the prodigal son, doesn't it? We have to look at it. Turn with me to Luke chapter 15. Hold your place. We'll be back to finish up in chapter 31. But 
I do want to show you the, the New Testament truth as well concerning this yearning father. Luke chapter 15. Luke 15, and I'll pick it up here in verse 11. Jesus speaking, and He said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. Now look at this, the heart of the yearning father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. The parable goes on and talks of the the other son's response, but my heart today was simply to reveal to you this heart of a yearning father. Turn back with me now to Jeremiah 31. Just a few thoughts before I move on. It says that while the, the son was still a great way off, How is it that the father could see his son still a great way off? He must have been looking for him. He must have been up every morning and looking out on the horizon. I wonder if he'll come back today. I wonder how he's doing. I wonder what's going on. Oh, that I hope he comes home today. And while he was a long ways off, he saw him and he ran out. This is not some father waiting to take you to task. This is a yearning father wanting to show mercy and he fell on him and he kissed him and he embraced him and welcomed him back into the family yes the son's heart was was readied for it his heart was repentive his heart was broken and this is what god is looking for a heart that would come home and say god forgive me i need my i need my relationship restored i'm sorry i'm not even worthy really to be your child but i throw myself at your mercy and let me tell you that mercy is enough to to warm you and and bring you close and minister to your heart. He loves you. Finally today, God is a satisfier of the soul. Look with me, verses 23 through 30. He is a satisfier of the soul. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, 
They shall again use this speech in the land of Judah and in their cities when I bring back their captivity. The Lord bless you, O home of justice and mountain of holiness. And there shall dwell in Judah itself and in all its cities together, farmers and those going out with flocks. For I have satiated the weary soul and I have replenished every sorrowful soul. And after this, I awoke and looked around, and my sleep was sweet to me. Wow, a sweet dream for Jeremiah, hearing this wonderful word of comfort. God continues to speak to him. Verse 27, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of man and the seed of beast. And it shall come to pass that as I have watched over them to pluck up, to break down, to throw down, to destroy, and to afflict, so I will watch over them to build and to plant, says the Lord. And then he speaks about a common parable that was, was in that day. He says in verse 29, In those days they shall, no, they shall say no more, the fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. But everyone shall die for his own iniquity. Every man who eats the sour grapes, his teeth shall be set on edge. We'll talk about that in a moment. But notice these words of God to bring comfort, saying, I have satiated the weary soul. That word satiate in the Hebrew, it's the word ravah. It means to completely quench the thirst, to bathe, to fill, to abundantly satisfy soak and water. Do you have a weary soul today? God is the one that can completely quench, fill, abundantly satisfy, soak and water you. You're not going to find it anywhere else. You're not going to find the rest that your heart is longing for anywhere but in relationship with the Lord. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus, come, I'll give you the rest. I'm the place of satisfying your soul. Whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst again. The water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. That's the kind of satisfying we need. Not the kind that that fills today and is empty tomorrow. We need that refreshing, that replenishing that God gives. It never runs dry. The word replenish, he'll, he'll replenish the sorrowful soul. Also the Hebrew word malah. It means to accomplish, confirm, overflow, furnish, set, satisfy completely. John seven thirty seven. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. God says there's coming a time when I'm going to satisfy your soul. I'm, I've been plucking up and tearing down. A time is coming that I'm going to now build and plant. God wants to satisfy our hearts and souls today. You know, we, we look other places. Even as Christians, there are, we, we search for fulfillment and satisfaction in other things. And we end up thirsty. We end up frustrated. We end up disappointed. Oh, some things seem to kind of create a, a, a sense of fulfillment for a season, but over time it just it, it, it wears out. 
and we find ourselves again empty and hurting, weary. Only God can satisfy the heart. You know, you were made for fellowship with Him. It's like you've been created with this, with something missing, needing it to be filled by relationship with God. Come and, and be satisfied from the one who, the only one that truly can satisfy your soul. He says something there in the, those last couple of verses we looked at. He talks about sour grapes. I don't know, maybe even our current uh, terminology has come from this passage. I, I'm sure you've heard of that. Oh, that, that sounds like sour grapes, you know. Quit telling me your sour grape story, you know. I've heard all that I want to hear, whatever. You know, sometimes we, we talk like that. Seemed to be a, there was a proverb in that day as well, and it, it basically communicated this idea that, that if the father ate sour grapes, then the children's teeth would be set on edge. In other words, if the father's sins, uh, they would eventually be passed on into the life of the children. The generation before would mess up the generation you know, beneath them. That sounds a little bit like what we, the way we like to blame things today as well. Huh? It's, it's their fault. It's my parents' fault. Sour grapes. My dad must have eaten sour grapes. That's what's wrong with me. But Jesus or Jeremiah is saying, listen, there's coming a day when, when that, nobody's going to be saying that proverb anymore because God is ultimately going to be dealing with each one individually. If you eat sour grapes, your teeth will be set on edge, but you won't be setting the edge of your children's, setting your children's teeth on edge. That makes any sense. So in one sense, it's really a, it's kind of a, um, a call to accountability but it's also a sense of comfort. Listen, nothing that's been done in prior generations can, can steal away what God wants to do in your life. You don't have to live under the shadow of any uh, you know, former uh, dysfunction. And many come from very difficult backgrounds. Many of you come from, really, we've heard testimonies, some horrible childhoods. You know, we live in a, in a tough city, don't we, Los Angeles? And there's a lot of people that have come through some tough things. But God is saying, listen, that's not going to set your teeth on edge. Those sour grapes don't follow you into the next generation. There's coming a day when God will satisfy, when God will rescue. Old things pass away. All things are made new. And it's a word of hope and a word of encouragement, but also a word of accountability. Listen, each one must decide for himself what his relationship to God is going to be. Your parents can't steal it from you, but neither can the generation before you secure it for you. You have to come to terms with the Lord yourself. And so each man is called to give an account to the call of God upon his life. Well, I want to close here in prayer. I'm going to ask the musicians to come and close in a song of worship. We'll look at these next verse, uh, the next verses next week. Jesus, uh, Jeremiah is going to talk about the new covenant. That, of course, will have application for us as well. But let me go ahead now and close us in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this word from Jeremiah written to the nation of Israel, and yet it speaks clearly to our hearts today as well. It speaks to us of a God of everlasting love. And how thankful we are for that. It speaks to us to a God of all comfort, 
It speaks to us of a yearning and loving Father and a God who can satisfy the soul. And Lord, I pray for us that have a relationship with You that we would be strengthened today. I believe, Lord, that it's the grace of God, that it's the good news of the Gospel, that it's the love of God that, that draws men and, and calls men to serve You and empowers us. Lord, I, I live for You today because You love me and You've been good to me. And so I pray that these words would comfort our hearts and give us hope and give us strength to live for You in this day in which You've called us. Lord, I also do want to pray today for those that may need to respond to You. And just keep your head bowed with me for one more moment. I'll give you a chance if the Lord has spoken to you and you need to respond to Him, I want to pray for you. And maybe you're here today and you don't have a relationship with God. You've never really come to a place of faith in Him or never really received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But maybe God spoke to you today. Maybe His Spirit is, is drawing you. Maybe you heard something new about His love and His his compassion for you. And you're ready to come to Him and allow Him to forgive you of your sins and receive by faith what Jesus Christ died on the cross to accomplish for you. I'd love to pray for you. Or maybe you're here today and you're like that prodigal son. You had a relationship with the Lord. or Maybe you even do, but... You've run from Him now and you're somewhere off living in a prodigal state. You're, you're far from the Lord. You're not walking in close relationship with Him today at all. And He's calling you back. Something in His, in His Word today touched you and said, Hey, come home. I'm thinking about you every minute. I'm looking for you every day. Come home. Come home and let me embrace you and show my mercy. I'd love to pray for you today as well. So if you're here today and you need to come to the Lord for the first time, or you need to come back to the Lord, come home to Him and recommit your life to Him, would you raise your hand where I can see you and I'll pray for you just as we close. Anyone here today? God bless you, sir. You as well on the back there. God bless you in the middle. God bless you here in the center also. Several of you. God bless you. Anyone else before I pray for these that have responded? Anybody needs to... It's between you and the Lord. I'm just going to lead you in prayer. But God sees your heart. Anyone say, yes, Pastor, pray for me. I need, I need the Lord today. Anyone else? Let's pray. Father, we do thank You for a yearning Father. A God that loves us. A God that comes after us. A God who sends the Holy Spirit to touch and draw and speak to us. And so God, for those that have responded here today, I, I pray that You would just flood them with Your love and Your mercy. Even as we read that Word, Lord, just bathe them in Your grace today. That they would come, and Lord, that they would come with a heart that's submitted and yielded, just like that prodigal coming home and saying, Oh God, forgive me. God, cleanse me of my sin. Wash my sins in the blood of Jesus and make me whole and new. Oh God, fill me with Your Spirit. I want to walk in relationship with You. 
I don't want to live without you anymore. I want to be in step with you, Father. Come and give me new life today. I pray it. And so, Lord, that you would hear that cry and you would meet these hearts today. And God, for all of us, fill us afresh and anew with your great love for us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.